congregation may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from our gospel lesson. Um, sometimes the sermon title doesn't match up with the, uh, the sermon. Uh, that's the case today. My plan at the beginning of the week was to preach on the epistle, and then that all changed. And so we are going to um, have as the, the meditation uh, the gospel lesson. And what Jesus does is once again, last week we heard about the parable of the, the lost son, the prodigal son. And this week, another parable, uh, another time when Jesus speaks the word of God uh, through a, a story or a parable. And what's amazing last week and this week is that when Jesus speaks a word, that word permeates all of the scriptures. It goes through the scriptures and grabs different stories and brings those stories into existence into the parable that he's speaking at the moment. It's just miraculous. And it's not by accident. And it's not as though Jesus had the scriptures memorized and was um, just going back on some kind of knowledge that he had. This is the very word made flesh. It's not like some kind of head knowledge that Jesus just has. He is, by definition and being, the Word of God. So when He speaks, He runs all the way through all the Scriptures. He goes and He taps on the prophets and He brings them into existence within the context of a parable or a story. He does that here again today. He says, a man planted a vineyard and rented it out to some farmers and went away for a long time. The man who owns the vineyard is God. God has put this vineyard together. It is called the world. And he lent it out to some farmers. And the farmers in the story are the religious leaders. You see, they were the ones who were supposed to take care of this vineyard. They were the ones who were supposed to take the fruits of the vineyard and then return them back to the vineyard owner, back to God. But sinful as human beings are, they take the fruits of the vineyard and they want it for their own. You see, what Jesus does here, he's, he's tapping back to 1 Kings, and this is chapter 21. The king, Ahab, was zealous and he was coveting Naboth's vineyard. You see, King Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth's vineyard was a magnificent vineyard. Um, it produced some of the best fruit and King Ahab wanted it. He went to Naboth and said, let me buy your vineyard. And Nabal said, no, no, this vineyard's been in my family for generations. There's no way that I could ever sell it. So King Ahab went and sulked. And his wife, Jezebel, said, ooh, I have a plan. She hired two people to sit next to Naboth at the community dinner. At just the right time, these two people jumped up and, and claimed that Naboth had cursed God and the king. The whole community took Naboth outside the city gates and they stoned him to death. And Ahab acquired, I mean, uh, yeah, Ahab, King Ahab acquired the vineyard through murder. 
It's a story that all Jews would know and understand. So when Jesus then tells about a vineyard that is going to be begotten through murder, they better remember the story about Ahab and about, and about Naboth and how innocent he was. <clears throat> so too in this parable, a vineyard will, be, will have been gotten through murder. <clears throat> and what Jesus is getting into and, and the point that he's going to come to and the point that he's going to want to make at the very end is this. And he looks directly at them and he asks, this is verse 17, what, then what is the meaning of that which is written? And he quotes the scripture. This is Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is the purpose for the whole parable. You see, the owner of the vineyard has sent servants. God has sent prophets to the people in order that they might, these prophets might bring back and gather up the fruit of the people from the vineyard that was lent out to them, the world. What's interesting is that there's another, um, another part of Scripture that is, that is very important for us to remember as Jesus is telling this parable, and that is, that is Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah talks about a vineyard and an owner who had put a wall around the vineyard, and he had cultivated the vineyard, and he had done everything to create the condition for the possibility of amazing fruit. The owner of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 goes, and he only finds sour grapes at the vineyard. The Hebrew says it's stink fruit. And that's what this parable is about. The owner of the vineyard comes back to receive what was his. And instead of receiving what he should have received, instead what he receives is a heart, these stink hearts of the tenants. <clears throat> the stone that the builders have rejected has become the capstone. So the owner of the vineyard decides, well, I've sent the, my servants, the prophets, I know what I will do. I will send my son. Now, the scripture here, and Jesus doesn't just say son. He says, I will send my beloved son. This phrase, my beloved son, is found somewhere else. It is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And this is where God says to Abraham, take your son your beloved son, to the mountain that I will show you. And there you will sacrifice him. Now you know the story of Abraham and Isaac and how the hand of the angel stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. But this phrase, beloved son, is the same phrase used with regards to Isaac. Now these are the religious leaders that Jesus is telling this parable to. They should have heard this phrase, my beloved son, and they should have automatically connected to, to Isaac. You see, they are the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> oh, and Jacob? Oh, Jesus is going to tie there too. Because Jacob has a son. What's his son, favorite son's name? Joseph. And there's a phrase. And this is from Genesis chapter 37, verse 20, where the brothers, Joseph's brothers, come and they go, Aha, here is that dreamer. Let us kill him. The same exact phrase that the 
tenants make when the beloved son of the owner of the vineyard comes. And they say, let us kill him. The only place in the Old Testament where this phrase is ever found, let us kill him, is in Genesis chapter 37 verse 20. Joseph's brothers concerning Joseph. Now you know what happened with Joseph. They put him into a pit to kill him, and then God miraculously saves him. Now here in this parable, and and Jesus does this again, he doesn't really end the parable. The parable is going to play itself out in real life, just like last week. So how does this parable end? They take the son out and they kill him. And now they think that they have now inherited the earth through the killing of the son of the vineyard owner. They're completely mistaken. That's not how you inherit the earth. That's not how God ever intended an inheritance of the earth through the killing and murder of anyone. So what God does is he sacrifices his son completely and totally dead. And what happens to the son? The son rises from the dead. The son rises from the dead. And that's the same thing that the writer of the Hebrews said about Isaac when he might have been sacrificed by Abraham. That Abraham had presumed that maybe Isaac could be raised from the dead. Now there's no need there because the hand was stayed. But the hand was not stayed when it came to Jesus. Instead, the hand of God sacrifices his only son, his beloved son, to complete and fulfill what wasn't able to happen previously throughout the Old Testament. What happens in the Old Testament is everything is pointing to this moment, to this beloved son, to the beloved son of God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he suffers and dies for the sins of the entire world. And so now this phrase, this ending, this, this quoting of Isaiah, uh, of, of Psalm 118, verse 22, and now the stone that the, reject, that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. That cornerstone is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. What in the world does this mean? It means that you and I, through faith, have fallen onto Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and we have been broken into pieces. That means our old sinful self, that old Adam, has been crushed and broken and is dead. And what rises up now is this new creation to live for God. Now for those who reject that, this stone, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the fulfillment and completion of the law, as it is rejected by individuals, that stone will fall on them. Instead of them falling on the stone, that stone falls on them, and they will be completely and totally crushed, annihilated, and thrust and cast into hell. This is the parable. It's playing out as you and I are hearing it. You see, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And as we, through baptism, are placed next to him, we become the church of God. The church called Christ the Redeemer Lutheran Church. The cornerstone being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have fallen on him, you have fallen into him, 
and he has completely and totally broken you and your old sinful nature into pieces. And now he binds you back together through the gospel and through the waters of baptism and through his body and blood so that you are now proclaimed by God, holy, righteous. Amen. And now may the peace of God, it transcends our ability to understand. May it guard your hearts and your minds always and ever focused on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.